Welcome to the Future Charlotte podcast, where we talk about the people, trends, and issues shaping our community's future. When you think of the quintessential suburban community, University City might come to mind. It's a part of town that really started growing in the 1960s when University Research Park opened and boomed during the heyday of the automobile era. Bisected by highways and state-owned expressways, University Cities for decades was home to office parks, single-family subdivisions, shopping centers, and educational buildings, all scrupulously separated by zoning laws, of course. But that's not the whole story. University City is Charlotte's second largest employment center and its youngest community in terms of residents' average age. It's a vibrant and growing place. And with the opening of the Blue Line light rail extension, more greenways, and denser redevelopment plans in the works, University City is on the cusp of a transformation. We're joined by Toby Holmes, Interim Executive Director of University City Partners, to talk about how University City plans to pull this transformation off. Toby, thanks for joining us. Eli, I'm glad to be here with you. So first off, just to uh, start and kind of set the groundwork, when we say University City, uh, I think in a lot of people's minds, it's kind of an amorphous area. They know it's somewhere around University. What specifically are we talking about when we're talking about University City, and what areas does University City Partners uh, cover? Sure. University City proper, and that is the uh, kind of the boundaries that uh, we work within specifically. Um, kind of generally, it goes up Highway 49, uh, to University City Boulevard, hanging left on Mallard Creek Church Road. Um, that follows over to Mallard Creek Road um, to the left. And then uh, Mallard Creek Road takes you down to University, back to University City Boulevard. So we're kind of a triangular shape. Uh, at about seven and a half square miles that encompasses um, kind of um, the kind of that area that is right around UNC Charlotte, our 15-acre lake in our center, um, and picks up the University Research Park. I like to ask people where they think University City is sometimes uh, because the boundaries are much better than that, it seems like. I had someone tell me recently that they thought it started at Sugar Creek Road, just above Nodoc, um, and some people think it extends to Cabarrus County. So you know, there are, there are proper boundaries proper, and there's also boundaries perceived. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, if you ask 10 people in Charlotte um, where University City starts and stops, you might get 10 different answers. So when we see this area, you know, there's really not too many places in Charlotte that are growing as quickly um, as University City. I think that if you, say, haven't been to the university area for a while and go back now, you're likely to be surprised by how much is going on there. What are the major trends in University City's growth and what's driving that growth? The major trends right now, um, they're in a lot of different directions. Uh, obviously, the Blue Line, which delivered here in 2018, um, has spurred a significant amount of residential growth. Um, with that has come lots of investment in um, services uh, and restaurants, mostly adjacent to stations. Um, and of course, you know, um, the Centene investment um, was, was a big deal for us. Uh, and, and, and now that, that investment has followed up with um, things just across the border to Cabarrus County, like the Eli Lilly, um, um, uh, I guess, R&D facility or many, you know, manufacturing um, it really has us in a position where we're adding so many different types of things. It's a diverse set of housing types, um, business types, 
And we're really excited that that's going to um, really transform our retail offerings uh, and restaurant uh, offerings. So aside from just, you know, raw growth, the number of folks moving there, the number of businesses, big companies like Centene, I think that there is also the need to create a place um, to get away from this kind of, you know, suburban amorphous area and really have a, a focus for University City and uh, a center of gravity. I, I know that that's a big priority for you and um, is a big priority in uh, University City Partners vision plan. How are you trying to do that? What does a center of gravity look like? And I guess big picture, how are you working to um, kind of move from the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, suburbia era into a future that, you know, looks pretty different. Yeah, the, uh, the fact that a lot of suburbia developed in that kind of 60s to mid-90s time frame is, uh, you know, it has this very unique characteristic to it uh, that um, it seems to make it look like everywhere USA sometimes. Um, we're really fortunate in the fact we have a university here and light rail that um, adds a little bit of spice. But, um, you know, we are hyper-focused on adding a, a, a much deeper breadth of arts and culture off the university's campus uh, and creating a little stronger there there. One thing we're doing, uh, for example, is we have a farmer's market that runs throughout the summer um, from May 1st into, uh, into uh, the end of October. And, and that investment, honestly, is to, is to begin just bringing people to, this, to our center by the lake um, on weekends and during, you know, um, and, and throughout the day, we really focus on being a kind of an 18 hour a day community. And that's, and that's really focused around the lake, but it's not just, um, you know, kind of building an urban place at our core. Um, Cause you know, those centers of gravity are, are so unique unto themselves and, and aren't just a typical main street anymore. And I think a good example of that could be, you know, Camp North End. Um, Right, right. Where's the main street there? Except it has an amazing gravity because it has um, interesting things to see and do. Uh, and some of those are, you know, at, at shops and restaurants, but also you can just wander around there for a little while. Uh, and, I, and that is the type of thing we're trying to add is just a, things to see and do that don't necessarily um, require to spend any money, but um, make things a little more interesting here. And while there are focused around the lake, to some extent, we're taking a really hard look at how we um, do that on our, our greenway here, Mallard Creek Greenway, and um, have started to try to figure out how we build a student main street, um, which honestly, those types of things sometimes aren't much more than um, four blocks with a place to get a slice of pizza and a t-shirt and for an, uh, an alumni to grab a beer maybe. Um, but that's something we're starting to think really hard about. Yeah, and I've always uh, thought that that's something the area could use is just that little uh, strip of places where students can go get pizza, beer, alumni can come back and get a beer. And nobody really cares how nice those are because it's really the memories and the sense of being, you know, a, a university um, main street that makes it makes it worthwhile to people. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's a lot of untapped potential in that concept in the sense that this is like 75,000 
alumni live in our region. And that's out of, I think, the 125 total, um, you know, alive today. So we have just a, just a huge grab on um, UNC Charlotte alumni here in Charlotte. But a lot of times they haven't got this. Um, they may return here for a game, but nothing, there's not a lot that makes it sticky where they want to be around for a while. I know that when I go visit my alumni, um, for example, that, um, you know, homage, annual homage to the to a football game maybe um, there are a lot of things to get me there well before game time and have me there well after uh, game time and it's you know a little bit trying to see the new stuff but also a lot of it has to do with going back to revisit that old haunt and the place you're familiar with and, and the place you want to show your kids and tell them all your stories um, so I think that we would do we would do really well with that here and um, I think it's just so incumbent on a university of our size to have that. It really is one of the most exciting things about the future of the university city, in my opinion. And you also mentioned uh, the potential for uh, greenways. And I know that that's something that, um, you know, the city and the county are obviously investing in across Charlotte. And also, uh, you know, you're seeing areas like South Park, uh, another very suburban uh, place historically building a uh, a loop trail around around South Park meant to be kind of an urban greenway. Uh, tell me about that investment. What will that look like? And aside from you know just a a nice place to walk or bike, um, what does having that sort of trail oriented development possibility do for University City? You know, as an auto as a fairly auto dominated place. Um, one thing that I think people really thirst for is to, um, you know, get out on foot and, and maybe you're walking to grab a slice of pizza or, or whatever it is. I think the rail trail is an amazing, uh, is an amazing thing in Charlotte for how it's come together and the fact that don't ride a bike there, uh, on the weekends <laughs> because there's, there's so many people on it. And, and I'm not sure they're really going anywhere. Um, you know, they may be going to do a daily errand, but for the most part, they're just out to to see and be seen and, and recreate and and be part of their community. And I think we have a lot of room to run in that area as well. Uh, our Greenway, of course, it is, a, you know, county, it is the onus of the county to build and maintain those. But the way that we think about it is that we have a certain responsibility to to make them great. And it's just, the Ranch World is such a cool example because that is just a, you know, basically a, um, a path next to light rail so that it can be serviced by emergency vehicles. Um, but the, the ads over the years and the patina it's gotten uh, makes it incredibly attractive. And I think it's a little bit our role to kind of, to make those ads and to create the patina in our own greenway um, in a way that's unique to our own communities. Um, and that might be through, you know, landscaped areas or, you know, larger areas that include um, benches and bike fix-it stands or, or whatever it may be, but but things that really make people feel at home um, on the Greenway and amenities that, that aim to keep them there for a long time. Uh, and it's not just our Greenway, Eli. There's, um, of course, you know, our 15-acre lake has a, the, the trail around that is exactly one mile. Um, one of my favorite things up here, especially on a farmer's market Saturday, is to see the number of people who just come up to walk laps in the morning. Um, it, it, 
makes me feel like there's a strong community here and um and, and it's already working so why would we not invest in something that's already working so we've really been talking about i think two big picture themes and one is getting people to come out and have uh, things for them to do sense of place center of gravity and the other that we've been alluding to is the need for uh, more ways to get around and move both in and out and within University City without everything uh, having to involve a car. So how are you working to um, shift that transportation paradigm for University City away from everything defaulting to cars and, um, you know, providing uh, both, you know, more options and changing the mindset for people so they don't think, gee, University City, that means I'm driving. That is the, I think that's the question that so many places are battling right now. Um, this desire for walkability and bikeability, um, it is not a phenomenon in Charlotte, it is across the country. And, um, you know, we're a country that's was built uh, uh, on a certain auto-dominated chassis, and how we how we start to kind of bridge those divides, if you will. You know, light rail for us is, is a total game changer in that, but obviously it's not the only piece of the puzzle. Uh, some things that we're uh, thinking really hard about is how we create places for um, scooters and e-bikes. I've been a long-time cyclist and have never thought that I would ride my bicycle to the office, particularly in the summertime, uh, just given the fact that I'll be a mess. Um, but e-bikes changed the game on that. Scooters changed the game on that. Um, so, you know, I think it, it continues to be that charge for um, separated bike facilities. Um, we are in line for a huge investment by the city through the um, um, some bonds that began to be passed in 2014. That's the uh, NISI um, NISI capital improvement uh, projects, which will um, just change JW Clay Boulevard, which wraps around our, our lake here uh, and extend, uh, extends on to McCullough Drive. Um, it basically creates separated bike facilities there and these um, kind of 12 foot wide multi-use paths adjacent to that. So I think that honestly, those investments by the city are just that's how it gets done, and it's not easy work. And my hat's off to, um, to them to, for biting off this difficult work, particularly when it comes to utility relocation. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one step at a time and, and one investment at a time. And um, hopefully, uh, and, you know, working with the university to help get those 30,000 students to be able to walk and bike like so many student bodies do. Um, it is just, um, there's no magic, um, there's no silver bullet or, or magic to it. It's just uh, the toil of, um, of city building. So when you talk about uh, J.W. Clay, I think that's a, a really good example based on what I've read in, uh, in your vision plan and other planning documents. Tell me a little bit more about how that road in particular uh, could be changed and you know, what we'll see in the future versus uh, what's there now. Sure. Um, for those who are not familiar, JDB Clay, um, again, encompasses our 15-acre lake, but it basically drives directly into campus. Um, so it is that conduit for students who want to leave campus and um, get into kind of the core of university city. 
the so JWB clear right now is basically a four lane road with a couple of turn lanes uh, and uh, I think a four foot wide sidewalk on the inner part of that loop road. Um, the result of the city's investment will to be wide to be to widen that uh, kind of inside sidewalk, and then also add that 12 foot wide uh, path on the outside of it, and also uh, a bike lane that basically has a barrier that protects it from cars um, on the outside as well. The two-way bike lane, so it really creates the possibility for um, anyone to bicycle comfortably on the road or in that lane um, onto and off of campus, which again, I mean, the fact that there are 30,000 students here who are a little bit trapped on the island by way of our big roads, it gives them a way to um, to get off campus and, um, and for the rest of our community to um, access campus and, and get around University City. And it's just, that's just, you know, basically a, kind of a, about a mile long stretch between JW Clay and McKellar that, that would impact. But I, I I can't tell you that there may not bigger be a more important investment in the future of University City in terms of how we build a core to this area. So those big roads that kind of uh, create, you know, rivers of traffic and um, islands that are separated from each other, a lot of those are uh, state-owned roads, and there's kind of limited amounts of local control. What special challenges does that pose, and um, how is that different than, uh, you know, just working with uh, the city or more local entities? Yeah, I have, uh, well, first, we're lucky to have big roads here to the extent that um, so many parts of Charlotte are crushed by traffic and we can legitimately move uh, our daytime population or worker population in and out of this community uh, at peak hours, rush hour, um, faster than almost anywhere else. You know, we have direct access. They give direct access to the interstate, Cabarrus County, Harrisburg. Um, so, you know, th- you know, on on one side, we're lucky to have them, um, especially when I drive in other parts of Charlotte that are gridlocked. Um, the other side of that is we live in a state with that owns uh, a massive number of lane miles, as many, uh, you know, at the absolute top of any state um, in terms of lane miles. And, um, you know, it's hard to be really intentional and thoughtful when you're managing such a massive amount of roadway. So it it does take some work to um, help the state understand um, our position here in the world and the fact that it is fairly unique. Um, while we are not necessarily urban as of yet, we are very quickly growing that direction. And, um, you know, sometimes we say the state knows how to do roads in two different ways, urban and rural, and it leaves us out to some extent. And I think that um, our work with the state is to help them understand that we are a unique place, uh, we have unique needs, and that some, sometimes the manual has to maybe not go out the window, um, but it might need a few extra, um, a few extra notes in the margins and uh, maybe a little extra thinking sometimes, especially when you have a group of 30,000 uh, 
students between the ages of about 18 and 24 years old um, across the street from me right now that um, they kind of have a unique way to behave. So, um, you know, it, it, it's part of that toil in terms of it's not a, you know, the part of that toil and kind of getting connecting roads and that connecting infrastructure, it's, it's the same thing in terms of kind of helping people understand that we are not necessarily urban yet, that we most certainly are not rural, and we are hurtling toward being an urban place, which requires urban infrastructure. And just to make it concrete, what are some of those um, differences, you know, that people might see on, say, a bigger road that was configured and built to be more accommodating to uh, the student body and urban infrastructure versus uh, the, you know, suburban six lane road, get everyone in and out at 45 miles per hour? Are we talking more crossings, wider multi-use paths along it? What What does that look like? Yeah, that's right. I was actually driving um, somewhere just this afternoon and noticed that um, there's a sidewalk about two feet off the back of a curb with a little tiny grass strip uh, and traffic on a you know, four lane road was rolling about 55 miles an hour. And I thought to myself how uncomfortable that must feel. Um, and then as soon as that thought crossed my mind, the planting strip or that little strip of grass next to the road got um, to be about eight feet wide and there's some trees in it and the sidewalk got a little larger and that transition is it, I guess to some extent you know the best description I can give and how there's little nuances about the width of uh, a sidewalk or your distance away from fast traffic how that can make you feel differently uh, and make you you know make that walk a little more enjoyable so if I'm, I'm thinking about I'm going to grab some lunch about a half mile away. A walk is all of a sudden a pleasant part of my day. And it's not a it's not something I want to avoid by jumping in the car. Of course, um, you know, as you described, um, there's cro- there's somewhat frequent walk crosswalks are very much part of the picture on that. Um 40% of pedestrian deaths happen outside of crosswalks. And um, um for a place that's urbanizing especially with a, a group of, of younger people here um, who may be more inclined to take a few risks. Those crosswalks are absolutely part of the big picture for us. And I, and I spend a lot of, I spend a lot more of my, of my day than I'd like to admit talking about adding additional points of crossing here in University City as a safety feature and also as a convenience factor so that if I want to go for that walk for lunch, I'm not having to walk a half mile out of my way just to walk a half mile to grab something. Yeah, that's a good point. And when people don't have access to things like safe crossings and uh, ways to get around on foot without putting themselves in harm's way, they'll they'll cross where they need to to get where they're going. Um, a lot of times, whether it's a safe crossing or not, so um, that's a that's a big issue across Charlotte. It is. It is. And I'm not. Um, I think that that problem is a lot more difficult to solve than it meets the eye because there's so many things that go into the equation of how far away that crossing has to be from the other crossing and the length of a block and who controls the roads. There's just, you know, it looks easy on face value, but when you really start to dig into the details, those, those small, those seemingly small changes require a lot of coordination 
And, you know, kind of going back to your question about how, how you make university city more connected, more walkable, more bikeable, that's why there's not a really clear answer to that because every situation seems to be a little bit unique. It has its own host of players and issues. And um, that's why we a little bit take it kind of one, one potential project at a time. So University City isn't just um, home to a university and residential subdivisions. It's also the second biggest employment center in Charlotte. And I think that, you know, a lot of people don't really know the scale of uh, the number of jobs and companies that are based there. Uh, doesn't have the skyline of Uptown, but obviously uh, a really big and important employment center. How are you seeing the pandemic and this longer term shift to remote and hybrid work impacting employers in University City? And what do you think this will all mean for the area long term? You know, that's such a great question right now. I feel like before the pandemic, um, the office um, market, the multifamily market, it was kind of the, uh, it was the, the, the easy place to work because retail was, you know, was a little bit undetermined. Um, now I think office has become slightly undetermined. And what I think a lot of people may not realize is there's a little bit of uh, undetermination starting in advance of the pandemic. Um, and that kind of, you can see that with the hybrid work, hybrid work model to an extent, but the open offices and the untethering from desks. Um, the pandemic obviously sped that up significantly. So, you know, the impacts on our largest employers or our employees across the board, um, it's, it's, not a, it's not something they weren't already preparing for to some extent, at least in terms of our office workers. Um, and I think that um, it reminds me of 2008 a little bit, Eli, when um, during the recession, if you recall, the big banks sent people home to work um, for a period of time. And I think the technology then what did not necessarily allow for that to be the most productive scenario. Um, now's a different time. And the, and the pandemic absolutely created this technology that we use and we're using right now to have you know, virtual meetings and to still connect with people. Um, so where we may not fill up office space quite at the speed we were before, I think that um, our office space will be much more highly functional. Um, our technology to connect with other people is gonna be um, profoundly more functional. And um, the thing that I've been thinking about lately is um, when you end one of those virtual meetings, there's not this portion of time where you spend talking to another person about their lives or other parts of their day. Um, so we're trying to create that space wherever we can um, in our community. And that's part of that center of gravity thing, right? The more that we can connect with people face-to-face -face and have those in-person conversations, I think is, is still incredibly important. Um, so I think that that's kind of the roundabout answer of virtual was already a little bit here before. I think now for a lot of uh, companies, um, it's a matter of understanding that it can't just be hybrid, it can't just be virtual, but we have to find places to connect in between um, because those connections really are so important to how we work together, how we um, 
build bonds with our with our coworkers and with um, the people that are around us. And um, and I and I think that the places and spaces where that happens best is you know um, as in our in our budding downtown. It's in our restaurants. It's on the greenway and 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 making sure those places exist so that we still can have that kind of interaction with our um, with our um, coworkers and with our uh, community members. And so as we uh, come to the end of our time here, uh, one final question I always like to ask people is if you had a magic wand, if you were emperor of Charlotte for a day, whatever it might be, uh, what would you change about the city, about University City, uh, and why? Yeah, that's such a, that's a, always a difficult question. It's like asking a kid at Christmas what kind of candy they want. <laughs> well, you uh, can name two things. We'll, we'll be generous. <laughs> right. I gotcha. Um, I, I am thrilled about kind of our, our nation's newfound appreciation for, for people power transportation. Um, and maybe just not all the time, but having the option to get out of their car. Um, I'd love to be able to wave that wand and solve this problem across Charlotte. Um, you know, because we all experience it every day. There's, there are very few places in Charlotte that, um, kind of have that, you know, incredibly robust infrastructure that lets you live, uh, truly multimodal. Uh, even uptown has this gap. So, um, that's, that's absolutely one of them, you know, and I guess now you've got me thinking, uh, the other one, that's good. It becomes a lot easier. Um, this university across the street from me right now is Charlotte's urban research university. And, um, you know, it's, it's also very young, uh, as comparison to some of its counterparts, I would love to see this university, um, advance 50 years or 100 years into the future right now with regard to its alumni, its, um, its camaraderie, its, um, alo- you know, its, its support from the city, because I think that it's on the trajectory, but I'm, I've also become such a huge believer in what goes on there and, um, and its leadership that I'm excited for its future and I just want to see it happen faster. Well, that's a good place to leave it, I think. We can all hope to get to a better future a little faster. Where can people find out more information, um, see all of the work you're doing, and some of the plans for the future? Sure. Um, thanks for asking. Um, that is all located on our website, which is universitycitypartners.org. There uh, is a tab that um, offers you access to research and plans, which is way more reading than you're probably going to want to do about University City. Um, that website also includes our vision plan, which we um, completed um, right around the beginning of 2022. And um, that gives that gives its readers a couple things. And that is a little bit of a peek into the window about how we think about our future here. Um, but also it's, it's got tons of cool things to look at and facts and figures and illustrations. Um, so if you're not really interested in reading a plan, it's worth looking through it uh, and just see, and seeing what's in there, maybe not reading the whole thing cover to cover. Well, Toby, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it and hope to see you sometime, uh, maybe on that walking path around the lake. 
This sounds great, Elon. Thanks for having me and thanks for your work. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you like the show, please rate it, share it with your friends, and keep looking to the future, Charlotte.